0: Uh, good morning. Good morning. Welcome to uh, The Brook. Uh, if this is your first time, man, we're glad that you are joining us even in this uh, online way. Uh, go ahead and uh, click the link in the comment section. We want to connect you uh, to the life of the church, uh, what God is doing um, even in this moment. My name is Muchi Cable, I'm one of the pastors here. We exist to grow a people from all people, passionate for God, and this week is the cornerstone of that vision that we, we have been able to just reflect on the work of Jesus, the gospel. And honestly, in the reflections, I've been thinking about this idea of um, the nature of having the last say, and really because of just the fact that we're in this COVID age. And <laughs> I was talking to one of my friends, and uh, he was telling me how essentially WhatsApp is like uh, Facebook for older Haitians. And uh, <laughs> in, in his WhatsApp, Um, Some of the older participants, they were putting all of these remedies in to help prevent COVID. So, um, you know, burn this onion, put it in a corner, and then you're good to go. And I just thought to myself, man, like, everybody has that story, whether it's, you know, big mama that says, yo, you got to drink ginger ale, and it'll just wipe away every flu-like symptom, or put Vicks in your sock, and then you'll have a clear chest, you won't cough anymore, or even the more... Minimalistic uh, folk in the new age who say, "Yo, just light some essential oils, put it in your diffuser, and you're good to go." Uh, the word for that is alchemy, <laughs> by the way. Uh, full metal, if you like anime. But we all have these, um, you know, remedies or these things that we're even doing in this space. But ultimately, the person that gets the last say with how we're engaging in this COVID era is Dr. Fauci and the CDC. And so we could, we could comb through different news channels, some are more irresponsible than others. Uh, we could go through different remedies, but the person who's gonna have the last say, the authority, and then even the privilege um, due to kind of make decisions and us kind of conform in light of that are, are those two entities, the CDC and then this person, Dr. Fauci. And I've just been thinking about this week is a reflection of an even greater truth that the one with all the authority, and the ultimate final say is God. That God has a final say over all things. That before he said, let there be light, there was this glorious plan for humanity and history that would converge in this week. It would converge with this glorious, perfect life of Christ, This bloody death on a cross and this empty tomb, the gospel signifying that God has final say over all things. And as I've been reflecting, I've just been thinking about the beauty of what God says. So the cross, uh, 1 Corinthians says that, It speaks a word of power for some, weakness for others, wisdom for some, foolishness for others. Hebrews 12 talks about that Jesus and his blood speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. So if you know the story of Abel and Cain, Cain killed his younger brother, Abel. He he was coveting him. He was wicked, and he, he killed his brother. God confronts him, asks him a question. Cain, where's your brother? Not because God's trying to get information, but because he's trying to give it, and he's getting ready to enter into a confrontation with Cain. Where's your brother? Am I my brother's keeper? And God says, Cain, your brother's blood is crying out from the ground. Revelation echoes what happens when innocent blood is shed when it cries out, it cries out vengeance, justice. God, make right this wrong. Yet, Jesus' blood, it says, Yes, God, right what is wrong. Pour out vengeance, pour out justice, pour out your wrath. But God, don't pour it out on these people who are deserving poured out on me. The word for that is grace. The convergence of history orbits around the gospel and this glorious word, grace. God's final say, God's last statement that boos is that there's grace for anyone who wants it. And I've just been thinking, what if we allowed grace to have the last word in our lives? What if we had the humility and the courage to allow grace to have the last word in our relationships, specifically how we relate to God, how we relate to others, and then even how we relate to ourselves? And I just want to tease out the possibilities and the implications of grace having the last word as it relates to God, how we relate to Him, as it relates to others and as it relates to ourselves. So if you have a Bible, uh, meet me in 1 Corinthians 15. That's where we're going to be for the rest of our times. 1 Corinthians 15 is this layered, expansive, rational presentation of the gospel, this glorious explosion of grace. Christian hope. It's rich, but we're only going to be in the first 11 Uh, Verses, Read with me, and then we'll get to work. Uh, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 1, it reads like this. Now, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance, not second importance, first importance, what I also received. That Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. That he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. And that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time. Let's just stop there. The The weight of even that, the validity, the certainty, the historicity of Christianity is rooted in the resurrection and Paul right now is saying that 500 people plus saw him and he goes on to say some of whom are still alive today so Jesus died around 80 30 Paul wrote this around 80 57 that means in about a 27 year span there's still people who are alive when Jesus walked the earth Who saw him raised from the dead? And Paul is like, you don't believe me? Go ask them. The power of that. I just wanted to pause and even note that. Anyway, he keeps going. Then he appeared to James, then to all all the apostles. And last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted a church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach, and so you believe. So, Grace is one of those words that is often thrown around in Christian circles. Uh, We we need to see that it's tied to the gospel, it's tied to the work of God, but we also need to understand its nature and and have an accurate definition so we can use it Appropriately, You could use words without knowing its meaning. I had game night a few nights ago with my uh, kids. And game night is really an exercise of patience for me. God uses it to grow me in his likeness and to make me more like Jesus because I play games to win. Uh, but when you have game night with small kids, you don't necessarily play to win. You play for togetherness. But in the midst of this game night, uh, one of our kids was talking <laughs> to, enough- to one of their siblings. And sarcasm is like the love language of our family. And uh, she threw out this word, well, touche. And one of the other kids was like, what does that mean? She's like, I don't know. Now she used it rightly, but she had no clue of what it really meant. And so even though she used it rightly in a moment, she really couldn't understand the depths of this word and that's how we treat grace yeah we could throw it out there we could sing it in songs but until we know the definition we can't really apply it fully and we can't see what it would look like for it to have the last word in how we relate to God how we relate to others and in how we relate to ourselves when you comb the scriptures and you look at the cross this explosive experience of grace what you see is that grace of God is his unmerited favor It's this unearned gift that we get, this kind act God allows us to receive by virtue of His kindness and not our effort. It's unmerited, unearned favor, that's grace. But even at the end there, and and Paul brings this out, he says, I am what I am by the grace of God. Uh, And then he goes into how he goes out and works and he labors, we're gonna get there. But but what that shows us as well is it's not just this unmerited favor, but the grace of God is also his divine empowerment. First Corinthians 12, uh, uh, Paul is going to argue that everybody has been given this special endowment. If you know Jesus, this special endowment called a spiritual gift, charismata, grace gift, that the grace of God is his divine empowerment. It is both his unmerited favor and his divine empowerment. The grace of God is God's love and power acting on our behalf. Acting on our behalf to do what we can't do for ourselves, what we desperately need. That's the grace of God. Now, with that definition, notice how it starts to get get us amped. In particular, in how we relate to God. It starts off and it says... I, I appreciate this this gospel that that you have received that you stand in and that you are being saved by Paul is identifying the the tenses of salvation that we, we receive it we we stand in it we rest in it but we actually grow by it as well until we get into the future age where all things are made new, but salvation isn't just this conceptual act. Salvation is this concrete relationship, and so what we receive, what we stand in, and what we progress in is relationship with God, and, and what, what, what he said is that the, the cornerstone of that relationship is grace. Now, if grace got the last word in the relationship for real, do you know what happened? We'd move from being transactional in how we relate to God, to more trusting in how we relate to God. Most relationships operate on a transactional basis. It's put in work so that whenever you need help, you've, you've earned enough equity to withdraw from this relational account. And so in essence, you're, you're not really actually asking for help, you're demanding to get paid what you do. Transactional. But, But if we operate like that with God, we just keep putting in work and we just wait till we've accumulated enough goodwill, we have to see that 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 type of action, it's not like we're waiting in traffic, it's more like waiting on a treadmill. And so if you're waiting in traffic, you're just at a standstill until the car in front of you moves. But if you're waiting on a treadmill, if you're not actually moving, you're going backwards. And when we interact with God in a transactional way, we actually start to wander further from him. But when grace gets the last word, we don't interact with God transactionally. We do interact with him in a more trust-oriented dynamic, a more trust-oriented way, back to my kids. So, <laughs> virtual school means that everybody's at home. Uh, it also means that I've discovered that our kids are bottomless pits. Like, I mean, it is snack time every 25 minutes and 48 seconds. Dad, can I get a snack? Mom, can I get a snack? Yo, can I get some of these Takis? Yo, can I get some of these gummy bears? Yo, can I get some of these apples? And I mean, like 25 minutes, 48 seconds, every single time, clockwork. Now, not once has my daughters or my son come up and said, yo, yo, Pops, yo, I, I've, I've, I've been crushing it in this virtual school, um, you know what? Not once have they come up and said, man, I I had 50 on the electricity. Um, You know what? Not once have they come up and said, you know, dad, I know bedtime is at eight, but I got there at seven. I went down early. Now run me my Takis. First of all, if they ever said, run me my (laughs) Takis. Yeah, amen, amen. But they've never done that. They've never done that. They, they don't operate in a transactional way where they put effort in and now they withdraw. They just say, yo, can I get, can I get a snack? And I usually respond in kind, like, yeah, absolutely. Come on, let, let's get these talking, let's go. That's a trust-oriented way. They believe in who I am as their father and then they operate as such. If grace got the last word, That's how we would relate to God in a more trustworthy, not transactional way. We would see God as more capable and willing than we'd ever dare imagine. Would grace have the last word in how we relate to God? Let's look about others though, uh, keep going. And so as as Paul is unpacking the the prophecy, which is the gospel and how it was written in the past, but it was now made known in the present, he goes down to who has been able to, Receive this. who this great work was revealed to. And, and then he goes down and read with me. Um, he says this, um, it appeared to, to, to 500, uh, most of whom are still alive, still glorious. Um, so have some have fallen asleep, but the verse seven, then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. And last of all, as one untimely bored, he appeared also to me for I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church. Of God. Guys, I'm probably gonna beat this drum for the next few months. The way we relate to people needs to grow. But the only way it grows is if grace gets the last word. When grace gets the last word in how we relate to people, then we see. Everyone, everyone as a candidate for relationship with God, relationship with us, and experiencing transformation. We see that no one is beyond the reach of grace as long as they're still breathing. Look at James. So Mark 3 says that James and his brothers, they thought that Jesus was crazy, that he should be committed that he should be locked up somewhere. They didn't just think he was crazy. They, they mocked him and wanted to make a mockery of him in public. That's John 7. That they said, hey, it's time for the Feast of Booths. Why don't you just go present yourself? Not because they wanted people to know him as the Savior of the world, but so that people would mock him. That's why John 7 says they said that because they did not believe. Could you imagine if Peter or any one of the apostles wrote them off. But they saw a risen Christ and everything changed. Take Paul. Acts 7 brings out this dynamic where one of the the early leaders in the church, Stephen, was being murdered for his faith. And as he was being murdered, the people who were were doing the slaughtering, who were celebrating his death. They were bringing their robes and laying them at Paul's feet. He was Saul at that time and he was giving approval. Could you imagine what it would have been like if they would have saw Saul after he saw the risen Christ and and God changed him forever, if they were like, "Mm, nah, dude. In fact, they were a little hesitant about him, but you know what happened? There was this guy named Barnabas who, who vouched for him and said, No, I've I've seen the work of God in his life. Grace radically changes how we relate to other people. They're not beyond God's reach of grace, this unmerited favor, this divine empowerment, as long as they're still breathing and we could endure relationally with them. The accelerant, the accelerant for the deterioration of relationships is the absence of grace. And its presence is the only thing powerful enough to cause people to endure. You cannot say, man, you know what? I'm in this dying marriage, but I don't want to leave because I don't want somebody to benefit from the work I put in. So I'm just going to tuck, I'm going to tough it out, I'm going to thug it out. You cannot say, I'm in this struggling marriage, but you know what? We got kids, so I'm just going to thug it out for them. And then expect that that's strong enough to keep you when real life and real arguments keep happening. But the grace to believe that transformation is possible, that the relationship could be restored because God is good, that's strong enough to keep us enduring. If grace got the last word, we'd see that no one is beyond the reach of grace. Furthermore, it would affect the way that we engage with people in a more courageous way. So even Paul, he had this situation with another apostle, Peter, who who was doing something that was not in line with the grace of God in his life. He He was acting out of ethnic superiority. And, and Paul confronts him and says, yo, Peter, in Galatians, Peter, you're not living in line with the truth of the gospel. You're not living in line with the truth of grace. That grace produces courageous, compassionate confrontations relationally. Peter, you're not living in line with the truth of the gospel, but grace can transform you. So grace gets the last say in our relationships then we relate to people differently. I'm gonna beat that drum for the next month, but definitely until I die. Let's keep it going. Not just how we relate to God, not just how we relate to others, but how we relate to ourselves. Look at the end, verse 10. But by the grace of God, I am what I am and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach and so you believe. Who are you by the grace of God? Who are you by the grace of God? That's the question. One of the things that's that's bothering me and and honestly burdening me in this moment right now is just the level of deficiency we have as it relates to a biblical anthropology. Anthropology is the study and understanding of people and cultures. A biblical anthropology is to see all peoples and all cultures, to see humanity through the lens of God. That Genesis 1 says, That God said, let us make man in our likeness, in our image, and blessed him and gave him design. You're in this garden, cultivate, be fruitful, multiply, spread my image all throughout the world. Dignity, that before depravity and our brokenness comes on the scene, Genesis 3, we have Genesis 1, we have Genesis 2, we have the dignity of man and tremendous design, God's signature on the soul of humanity to tell the world about him. Now, we rebelled against that design and our rebellion is called sin. We thought we could do a better job of ruling our lives and we still do than God can and Jesus hung on a cross for the wages of our rebellion. But by his life, death, and resurrection, we could enter into a new humanity to be born again. That's 2 Corinthians 5, a new creation. But this new humanity, it's not as if the old humanity is done away with, like we stop being humans. It's more that we get to experience it in a more excellent and fuller way. That's why in Revelations, you still see people from every tribe, every nation, praising God, carrying their ethnicity into the eternal age. You get to experience life as it was intended to be, full of grace. You get to live out a great and glorious design, which is not making much of yourself. It's making much of God in service. He says, I am what I am by the grace of God. That this favor hit me and brought me into this family. And this power rested me and it causes me to work and labor, not in vain, but labor for a future for others to experience, to serve them. Grace has a last say. And how we see ourselves, we would see ourselves as made by and made for grace. Let me apply it like this. Growing up, there was this brand, lifestyle brand before lifestyle brands were really lifestyle brands called FUBU. Everybody wanted it, at least where I grew up. But <laughs> there was FUBU and then there was PUBU, right? And so like FUBU had the FB, they even had the Ali collection, it was great, it was glorious, but then you had PUBU, which is like, <laughs> it, it, it didn't it, it did it quite F right, you know what I mean? It was like this, like this P and it curved and it was a knockoff, it was an imitation and people noticed that. It. But it was, it, was, it was similar enough where people could get by with it. But if you look close, you can say, man, That's an imitation, that's not the real thing. When we say that you are made by and for grace, it's both in the general being part of this new humanity and then in the specific and unique that God has a design for you to be an original, not a copy. Don't die, don't die, don't live, and don't die a poor man's version of someone else. Cling to grace. It's a glorious word, this unmerited favor, this divine power that blows the hinges off the doors of possibility. If you're on the outside looking into that, you can't earn your way in. You receive in faith. God, I don't know at all, but I know enough to say, I want that. And you receive and you stand and you progress. And if you're on the inside, but that's not how you're currently relating to God or to others or even yourself, You're breathing, transformation is possible, change is available, possibilities are endless. We need it, especially now. Cling to grace, live in light of the grace of God, and find freedom. Let's pray. God, thank you. Such a sweet word that you give us. Grace, would it soothe our souls and stir us to greatness for your namesake so that they would believe. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen.